Hey everybody, Ruark here again, uh, introducing you to our episode five of the Gaiman podcast. Uh, once again, this originally aired on the Wheel of Time Watch Party podcast, uh, but we spun this off into its own thing because we knew that there were Gaiman fans out there who weren't necessarily Wheel of Time fans and we wanted to, to get in with them too. So uh, if you're a Gaiman fan just joining us, thank you for joining us. Uh, us in this case would be myself, my co-host Saima, and our panelists Siobhan, David, Greg, and Samaria. Hey yo! Hey yo! Hey everybody! Hello! So this episode is uh, our our serial convention episode. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. The one that went after dark, and that's on yes. every level apparently. Yeah. Who doesn't like a midnight snack? Oh no! I, I I know I said it in this episode, but I would so go to a serial convention. I love me some booberry. Oh, yeah. Not that I love one. me some booberry. Yeah, uh, the, the, this convention is more like honey bunches. Of pies. <laughs> it's not. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I thought the panels were cool. I would have, I would have liked to sit in on a few of them. Few of them, like I say in the episode. So, I mean, I don't want to be hunted, but apparently that was the rule at the convention anyway. So, I'm like, it's it's all good. Yeah, the no hunting at the convention. You're safe. Yeah. As long as you're not a kid near uh, Funland. Ew. Ew. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing all the work here, guys. Come on. <laughs> Sploosh. I'm only funny on accident. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm only funny on accident. It concludes with the final sploosh and desire. Uh, oh, that's yes. true. All right. Uh, so, yeah, here's our episode. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Saima. And I'm your host, Ruar. And today joining us from the panel, we have David. Sheer fucking hubris. <gasps> Great way to that's start. Not, that's uh, not a network show, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it is appropriate. It's for the first season of Picard. Okay. <clears throat> and we have Greg. Hello there. And joining us after a while is Samaria. Hi, friends. And Siobhan. Hey, everybody. Well, I'm glad we've got a, a a good panel to see us through to the the end of the season, not the end of Sandman, but the end of the first season. Um, so, are we ready to jump straight in? I think Let's so. Let's do it. Onward. So, episode nine and ten, and. Um, it's a pretty straightforward storyline. Everything's kind of converging. Um, so maybe we could take it kind of one storyline at a time, the smaller storylines, and then kind of go to the main one. So it actually opens with um, Lita showing Rose her pregnancy and then Matthew flying off to tell Lucien. And so let's stick with, with uh, Lita, Rose, and Trevor. Thoughts on manifesting pregnancy from the dreaming into into the real world or is it even the real world you know sometimes the dreaming can be the real world so from one to the other yeah that that brings up a lot of a lot of those uh metaphysical questions it's like what what is what is real you know what would that how how could that be a a thing you know the, the dream baby how could it be real 
So I know Lita was supposed to be real happy about the pregnancy, but I got this real body horror off it, like just going from zero to what looked like eight, nine months pregnant in the in the course of one dream. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, I don't know. The way my wife talks hurt. about pregnancy, she would probably have enjoyed that transition and not have to deal with the rest of it. <laughs> Maybe if you signed up for it. <laughs> True. <laughs> no, like, Lena's happy about it. Like, it can't not have been at all, like, pain-free. Like, going from zero to, to 60 overnight, literally. Like, ouch. Um, all your internal organs just rearranging themselves, compressed into a single night. That just, uh, yeah, ow. <laughs> I, like, if it had been me... Well, first of all, I'd be like, oh, God, I don't, I don't, I can't afford this. I can't, it's for this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was more concerned with the how. Like, yes, I know the vortex question, you know, tearing down the walls between realms. Okay, yes. But when if you have a kid that exists in both worlds and neither, like, I guess, first of all, how does that work? Like, I don't yeah. do well with the unreality of that. And that would bother me, especially since, you know, Dream is like, I'm going to take this kid. And I'm like, hold up. Like, I can understand why Lita's freaked out by this. You find like, yeah, you finally have the kid that you and your husband always wanted and never thought you were going to be able to have. And it's kind of like a gift from the ether. Wonderful. But like for the kid, it's like, OK, where do you belong? Nowhere. Both wheres. Who knows? Um, who do you belong to? Are you? dreams are you leah's are you i guess your your new aunt roses that that's really creepy and fucked up i just never mind like take me to the clinic i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) you might not even be able to oh interesting point um i just have to say samari have you read the comics no i'm so glad that you're here for the final of this (laughs) like everything you just said is amazing (laughs) just fuck me up i didn't like it so on the on the on the kind of um positive side, I don't know. Let's let's go with positive. There's this sense that you know Lita's so close to Rose. Rose has all of a sudden got access to this phenomenal power that she does not really even fully aware of what she's doing, how she's using it. And Lita, in her grief, who's already having conversations with her dead husband, you know, while she's traveling, while she's sleeping, and this sense of everything that she's lost is now manifesting in the dream just through close proximity to Rose. But I like Siobhan what you've said as well because I think there is a there's a sense with Lita that she knows this isn't right. She knows it's her grief. But she's just saying, you know what? Fuck it. I don't care. I, I want this. She she can't let go. And so she's in one sense I feel like she's maybe being pulled a little bit against her will into this dream. But because Rose is making it real it's almost convincing her. And of course, Trevor is as well. You know, like, look, we, we've got our house. I want to show you our house. And Trevor as the ghost is also being influenced by Rose being with Lita. And he knew her as well, right? And so it's almost the love that Rose has for them is helping them to create something that shouldn't really work. And yet they're just going for it. And in terms of the time, we know that uh, Lita thinks that months have gone by in the dreaming. And for Rose, it's only been a couple of hours. So I wonder whether the, the, the bodily functions rearranged in, in that time frame. And then when she wakes up, it's like, oh. But yeah, I, I, get, I, 
I had that initial feeling too when she first shows her stomach, her bump to Rose, and it's like, whoa, that's that's very sudden. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that psychologically she was prepared for it completely because she lived that time in the dreaming space. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a fair point. Time does not travel the same way in dreams. Rose was wanting that for her because when um, Dream rips her away from it, Rose is uh, extremely upset about that. So part of what Simon was getting at, and I agree with, is that Rose was intending for that to happen in uh, some way, for, shape, or form. Whether she knew she was doing it, she wanted that for her. Yep. And as the vortex, she could manifest it. In that moment where Rose kind of, you know, says no to dream, how dare you? To me, it's more about the, the protection, right? Her protection of her friend who's been with her, who's traveled to England, you know, has supported, is supporting Rose with her grief and trying to find her brother whilst also going through the grief of losing her husband. And so in that moment, I feel like Rose was kind of coming into her power. Like, okay, you can't, that was, and it was also really horrible the way Dream did that. Again, coming back to Dream, not quite understanding humanity and how they need a little bit of time. Like he, 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 did, give, he did give them that moment of, you know, say your goodbyes, but then he just like, right, that's enough. I've had enough. That was enough time for you to say goodbye. And now you're going to watch your husband just decompose in front of you and just drift away like ash. It also goes back to Dream not caring so much about the individual ever. It's always about what the greater good is or the perceived greater good. Which is like, go, you know, a ghost can't hide in the dreaming. Get back to where you should be. He does tell Rose when going forward to the point where Rose, um, he's having the conversation with her about how she has to die. He does say you can stay in the dreaming afterwards if you want to. So he picks and chooses, right? He's he picks and chooses who who's allowed and who's not, like a like a real godlike entity. Yeah, maybe because she's descended from the endless, she gets an exception. Did he know that? I don't yet? know. No. Okay. And maybe it has to do uh, metaphysically with a difference between the fact that he was manifest by her grief and her pain, and, and essentially she created the dream. Where I imagine uh, someone like pulling in ravens or, or having someone exist in the dreaming afterwards, that would be something dream created, and so there's a difference there. Yeah, maybe. Does seem like preferential treatment, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not like gods do that, do they? They don't have preferential treatment to treat everyone equally. <laughs> no favoritism at all. Gods throughout mythology have never been known to show favoritism between their children or between humans or between themselves or anything like that. That's just crazy talk. Yeah. Yeah. There you are. One, one quick correction. Uh, you've been saying, saying Trevor, it's Hector. Is Lydus. Oh, sorry. Trevor, Trevor's the surname? Uh, possibly. No, sure. it's not. Sorry. Lita Trevor. That's what she was called from the comics. Yes. Yeah, but it's Hector Thank Hall you. in this, according to yes. fandom. And Lita so. Hall. Thank you. Sure. Are, are Hector Hall and Rita Hall related to Carter Hall in the comic book? I don't know. Okay. Who's Carter Hall? Uh, that would be Hawkman. 
Oh, dude. Wow. So I think Samari has touched upon, while Greg's checking that out, I think Samari has touched upon the key points for this whole episode, which is, what does it mean? What's happening with the baby? Who does the baby belong to? What's going to happen? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it's very, it reminds me of like, um, the Fae, in a sense, where, you know, you, you have your changelings or you bargain with the Fae and they're like, okay, well, I will take as payment your firstborn and this X amount of time. And, you know, you think you can outsmart the Fae or whatever. And, you know, you grow up your kid, you love your kid. And the Fae comes is like, I would like my payment back. I've come back for payment on my loan. You're like, but this is my kid. I had the kid. And they're like, no, I gave you the kid to borrow. You're welcome. Hope you had fun. Thanks. Looking at you, Siobhan. Just to answer the question I asked earlier, uh, Hector Hall is, in fact, the son of Carter Hall. Yes. And is also known as the Silver Scarab and was a... And Dr. Fate and was a uh, version of the Sandman at one point before Kaiman got a hold of it. So do we have any more thoughts on, on Lita, Hector, the baby? No, but I will point out that uh, his uh, in-laws, uh, at Hank, or sorry, Hector's in-laws were the Trevors. So... I think it was at last episode we were talking about how uh, Lita was the child of Diana. Joan and Derek Trevor. So there's really kind of a Justice League extended family thing happening here. Yes. Thanksgiving must be a blast. <laughs> <laughs> they will grab a quick turkey. Superman could just cook it with his heat vision and yeah. <laughs> Just get done. I don't know if I'd want to eat something that had been heated by his heat vision. I don't know. Maybe like worse than a microwave. Is there something gross about heat coming from eyeballs or something? Just a little, bit. Like, a little bit. Yeah, what if some eye gunk gets into the... Yeah. Uh, are, are, are we getting back into back the eating the eyeballs again? <laughs> oh, actually, going back to the uh, cannibal discussion from last last episode... <laughs> I did want to bring this up. Uh, my my spouse, Madeline, pointed out that uh, she actually is a cannibal. Um, and keep your mind out of the gutter, but she ate a piece of me. I love the looks I'm getting off of everybody. <laughs> <We're> <laughs> trying confused. to decide if we should ask. <laughs> like, so I was, I, was preparing, I was preparing dinner. I was slicing onions, and I took off the very tip of my finger. Like, uh, we're talking like a paper-thin slice, like just some skin, but a little tiny bit of meat. And I looked at it for a minute, and I'm like, that is not enough to worry about get sewing back on. <laughs> And so she came over, picked it up, threw it on the frying pan for a minute, and ate it, and said, "There, now I'm a cannibal." Technically, <laughs> technically <laughs> that's not meat. Technically, technically that's cracklins. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> she had some human cracklins. But I, I should point out, this is the same person who uh, ate a scorpion when we were out camping in the middle of the desert. So, well, she is Cajun. So, yeah, yeah, Why Cajuns. <laughs> there's no line. There's really no line. She used to tell me about squirrel stew her grandma used to make. Yep. Yeah, on one hand, I kind of, I, I, I admire not wasting anything. 
you know, just make the most of everything. Not even my fingertip. Yeah. Yeah. Like Samaria says, that is true love. Yeah. It's very sweet. Very sweet story. Thank you for sharing that, Rock. Yeah. Well, now you know what my relationship is like. You gave her a part of you. So most people just worry about their cats eating them when they die. (laughs) You gotta worry about Madeline. Oh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just wondering how, gonna, should, how should we continue? Anyway, <laughs> anyway, back at the Hall of Justice. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice. The first opening scene also has Matthew. So Matthew's viewing the, what's happened with Lita, and he flies back to tell Lucien, who we had this conversation last time, but. Um, now Samaria's here. We can have it again. Um, so he goes back to tell Lucien and she's like, well, you can't tell me. You need to go tell the boss. And I and I put a note here because this is again, I think we've spoken before about how the relationship between Dream and Lucien really highlights the theme of change. And she actually says, he's always been this way. He's just been away so long, I'd forgotten. Right. So even for the residents of the Dreaming, they've kind of fallen into this everyone works together and then dreams back and it's like oh we forgot what you know how annoying and isolated he can be it's like twitter before elon and after (laughs) that's not nice to dream (laughs) (laughs) dream is doing his best (laughs) well elon's doing his best too it's just not very good uh Anyway, <laughs> just a little dated material for the podcast. Uh, no bother, people. Evergreen, yeah. yeah. If, if you're listening to this in in three years, then yeah, you'll probably not have a clue what the hell we're going on about. But anyway, I hope we have an internet in three years. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Twitter won't be here in three years. If, in, if somebody listens to this three years from now, it, it's uh, the end of 2022. Let us know if Twitter still exists. Right. That would be great. Thanks. <laughs> Send us smoke signals. We'll be watching for them. <laughs> Send a raven. <laughs> and so we do have over the course... Um, it's quite strong, the break between Dream and Lucien, but then we do have them reconciling quite quickly because when we have the earthquake, um, which we see with um, Lita and Hector's, I was going to say Trevor again, Hector's uh, dream home uh, that's radiating out from that because that's, a, I guess, a small pocket that Rose is unconsciously controlling by allowing them to have that um, their dream within a dream. And so we have this really, I just loved it. I, I did actually rewatch this um, this week, kind of dream coming into the library with this kind of like, oh, I've just come to check you're okay because of the earthquake. Oh, and by the way, while I was gone, did anything like this happen? <laughs> trying to, you know, like, I, I don't need your help, but, but you know, like, just thought I'd ask. If I did ask for your help, what would you suggest? Hypothetically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally hypothetically (laughs) i also kind of got the sense that dream didn't really um think that lucienne was as smart and as capable as she was and that when she told him about the vortex initially just kind of brushed it off no that's something only i would know about and and care about 
And then once he actually does the investigation, it says, oh, crap, she's right. Maybe I should, you know, acknowledge the fact that she knew what she was doing. Wait, 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 whoa, hold. You're telling me the black man ignored, or the, the white man ignored <laughs> the black woman? <laughs> no, you had it right the first time they do, too. <laughs> no, I was like, oh, gosh, this the dynamic is way too familiar. Like, it was <laughs> funny. Like, I, it was something, because there's some things that, like, TV shows that I can't watch because it's too true to life. And then there are some things that are hilarious because they're true to life. And this was one of those instances where it's like, and like when Lucien's like, no, I'm not going to tell him. I'm going to let him figure it out for himself. I was like, ha ha. Every black woman has had that moment. All of us, every single one. And if we haven't, it's coming very soon. <laughs> like, nope, I'm going to let him. Mm-hmm. going to let him figure it out. And then, you know, eventually they come back and they're like, please. <laughs> you know and and dream means well which is why it was okay and and, and, like it was funny instead of triggering um but yeah it's like you see the kid heading towards the outlet with a screwdriver in their hand and you just you know what let him go let him do it well you ain't gonna do that again health insurance Bill Hicks had a great line about being on an airplane and this little kid's just running around wild and goes up to the emergency exit and just starts flicking the handle and somebody goes to stop and you go, wait, let's see how this plays out. (laughs) You're right. The smaller they get, the cuter they are. (laughs) So, uh, hey, how's it going, Simon? Such a long day today. <laughs> Happy to make it longer for you. <laughs> so I was going to come back to something that uh, David had said about Dream realizing how competent Lucien actually was. And when I rewatched it, I saw that um, interaction between him, him and Merv in a different way because Merv was coming to see Lucien. And I think that was the bit that Dream had to even though he wanted, he really didn't want to acknowledge it, he ha- was forced to acknowledge that everyone was looking to Lucienne, had been looking to Lucienne for a hundred years, and she totally knew what she was talking about, because it's after that he kind of like, just brings his books back, you know, like, he's the king of the dreaming, he doesn't need to bring the books back to the library, but it's like, oh, I just thought I'd bring these books back, and, um, yeah. So, so, is Merv going to be coming back? I have to ask. Yes. Does be. Merv come back in the books? Is yes. what I'm asking. Okay. Wonderful. Okay, good. I would like to see more of that character. Me too. Yeah. He's fun. Mm-hmm. He's not somebody I'd want to spend time with. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's played by Mark Hamill, so he's grumpy. You know, that's yeah. Yeah, I think it depends on how how close to the comics they make him. So shall we move on to Gilbert? Yes, please. Yes, yes we do want to talk about Gilbert. Stephen yes. Fry. Yes, finally we get to the Wookiee oh. of the series. Stephen Fry Stephen was great Fry. casting because he looks exactly like Doesn't Stephen Doesn't he look like he literally <laughs> come off the page, right? Yes. Yes, he's perfect. He's, he, was, he was built to play Gilbert. They did not have to do much. Yeah, I, I, when I saw Gilbert, uh, my thought was they, he was the bastard love child of Totoro and Danny the Street. Mm-hmm. That works. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and so our first introduction to Gilbert was in the previous episode where he 
um, distracts the um, attackers enough that Rose can save herself, because I do like the fact that she does save herself, and she says, I had it under control. Um, but this is where he, because Lita's dealing with her shocking pre pregnancy, um, Rose wants to go and um, to the where, the where the convention is. I can't remember now. Was it Atlanta? Yes, somewhere in Georgia. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, Gilbert offers to go on the road trip with her. Um, and I love that they're in the car and he puts Rose to sleep because <laughs> he's <was just laughs> talking. <laughs> as as green fields would tend to do with someone, Very right? soothing, yeah. Just kind of want to lay down and have a nap. Very take a nap. soothing and calming. Yeah. But also his, his very soothing, calming excitement with everything in the world. Mm. Like he can just talk about everything because he th finds everything fascinating. It's all new. Right? Yeah. <laughs> very loyal-like in that way. Little yes. Bit, yeah. yeah, he does have a very childlike energy yeah. in a good way. Yeah. Like yeah. there's a childlike energy that's very playful or kind of hyperactive or just too much and he just reminds me of that kid who's like always carrying around a book like going around on the playground doesn't necessarily have a set friend group but like will fit in and chill with anybody i'll be on the swings today i'll play i'll play like foursquare with this group i'll be on the monkey bars today instead um you know like just always game for art class and music class and you know just flits around just happy to be here that's very like energetic like a second grader on yeah. a good day very much a joyous curiosity but also aged and wise at the same time and i think that comes from the character's nature because fiddler's green would be a character who the people have to come to them in the dreaming right so you only see kind of a set um of people that you visit that dream and this is his opportunity to go out and experience things on his terms and say i want to look at this i want to be this and and see this because i don't get that normally i'm just stagnant right of the three the three uh entities that leave the uh that leave the dreaming uh between corinthian and galt and and gilbert uh he's the only one that's going out for curiosity you know, he's like, I want to explore. I want to see what's going on. You know, Galt's there to protect uh, Jed, and uh, Corinthian is just there to eat everybody's eyeballs. <laughs> and and that's a good point, actually, because I think we discussed last episode that maybe Galt was drawn to Jed because Jed was part of, was also is related to the Endless, but also proximity to Rose being Vortex. And so somehow Galt got drawn to his dreams and started protecting him. And I see the same with Gilbert here as well, because Hal says, oh, you know, Gilbert's always in his room. Doesn't really leave the B&B. &B, and yet he ends up going to um, Hal's show, ends up, you know, meeting Rose. And then he's, he's here. He's like, oh, I'll go on a road trip. It seems to be not Gilbert-like. And yet there is this something that he's drawn, he's being drawn to the vortex in the same way that Galt was, and then obviously Corinthian is looking for her so that he can use her. I also wonder if maybe he left the Dreaming for self-preservation, too, because it seems it, 
since he's kind of a place as opposed to a, a character or person, wouldn't he kind of be destroyed while in the period where Dream was gone? Could That's be. interesting. I didn't even yeah. think of that. Yeah. I mean, he sort says of... he, he, he left for curiosity, but actually you're right, because, because he's a place he couldn't move. And if the Dreaming was crumbling, then I suppose at the edges he might have been someone that, yeah, would have gone first. But he was like, oh, well, the heart of the Dreaming is gone, which is Dream. So, oh, I'm curious. And I really like that, that what you've said, David, about the fact that as a dream, he, he was static and people came to him. And this was his opportunity of finding out, well, what happens when I can manifest and go somewhere as well? And also just really, it's really sweet that he's, he comes back because he's like, oh, please save my friend. And then finding out, oh, no, my friend is a vortex and now the dream world is going to have to kill her. And then offering himself up. But before we get there, one of my favorite bits of this episode is when, when Gilbert meet, when he sees the Corinthian at the hotel, at the convention, it's like he takes one look at the Corinthian and he's like, oh shit, I'm out of here. Just like, <laughs> I'm not out there. I know what this is about. Yeah. yeah. So he goes to tell the boss, but it's, all, it's almost this, this sense of, yeah, the Corinthian is like the big bad. Even for the other dreams and nightmares, they're just like, oh, we're not dealing with this. Time to definitely get get the boss. Who at like that, that point? At that point, <laughs> Gilbert thinks Lucienne is the boss, but then he goes back and the boss boss is there. So probably relieving there too. So then we're at the the serial convention, um, and I just have to say it's really creepy how good the Corinthian is with Jed. It is. It, He's so good, right? The ice cream, he knows the right thing to say to, you know, it's like he gets him his chicken fingers. And I, fa I found that aspect really disturbing, how good he was. It's like if they made and him a little creepy, in, it, that would make more sense. But because he's so good, it's like, oh, this is difficult to watch. It's really it, disturbing. It was true parenting without the tough love portion. Right, it was total indulgence. Even the Corinthian cannot keep Jed to stay in his room, though. That's true. That's <laughs> like, true. This kid is a born rebel. He's like, all right, adults are gone. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. You can't, can't tell him it's a serial convention and not have him be curious right. and try to figure it out. But I think no matter what kid. it was, he would be out there. I, and I think that like Jed's almost too adventurous for his own good. But in a sense, you realize that everything that he went through, like Barnaby didn't break his spirit. He's still got that innate, I'm a kid, I'm on an adventure, I'm going to find out what's going on. He also knows better than most kids that no matter how nice an adult is to you, you don't, can't necessarily trust them. So it just furthered my disturbance of how open this group is. Obviously, they're not talking about cereal as you walk down this hallway. Obviously, there's no pictures of cereal boxes at anywhere in view. And it just, how can they be doing this? Yeah, I noticed that. I, like, there are other guests to the point where, like, they're like, do not, you know, shit where you eat. You, you know, make sure you get at least 100 miles radius before, you know, you start up with your collecting again. And one, I was like, if I were a serial killer and I were going to a convention, like if I were organizing it, I would make sure I booked the whole thing. 
like top security, discretion, all of it. Though I guess maybe they're like, if you hide in plain sight, it's less it's less suspicious. I don't mm. know. Um, well, I also think that these days there are things like horror conventions and stuff all the time. I, yeah. I could absolutely just see a straight up serial killer convention and people thinking, oh, it's a true crime convention. Let's go hang out. And Right. Yeah. True. You're not true. podcasters, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you do get the fanboy inter storyline interlaced That's in there. True. Where he's, he's pretending to be one. And I don't know if that's necessarily because he wants to become a serial killer or if he's just a fanboy. He said he wants to be the... He said he's there to learn. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I admire you so much. I want to do what you do. This is the only way I do. I, you know, to... Knew how to, like, start. And they're like, no, F you. Slice and dice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, he got to be part of it. Just not... This is true. On the, on the air that he's looking for. <laughs> mm. Game over. Uh, but begs the question, how do you become a part of this group? If if you're not like a budding serial killer, what are, what are you? Do you have to have your first collection? Do you have to present your collection, a, a slideshow? Be if like, you're good can enough, I come to the convention they will now? find you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess like if you're that far into it that, you know, you're getting invited and people are exchanging and you're like, oh, I'm such a fan. Maybe you don't even care about getting caught. Like, you just assume you won't at that point. So, you know, going to a serial killer convention in plain sight, you're like, haha, of course I will. Yeah, I think you have to be notorious enough to have a name. And that's when that's when they'll find you. Or So somebody shows up and they've only got two bodies on them and, and the rest of the serial killers are just like, Whatever, that's not even a cereal yet. A few, few more notches, yeah. buddy, before you can come into this crowd. <laughs> Good you gotta start, have four but, bodies uh, before it's cereal. Come on, come on. <laughs> it's a good start, but yeah, not yet. But just, I'm wondering why he gets collected as opposed to being welcomed in the fold, right? Because he's one of them. But I don't think he's and actually is, is killed that just anybody because yet. he was. And he was also he was also a, a journalist, so he it's had the blog. He's pretending to be somebody else. He's pretending yeah. to be a legitimate collector. Yeah, I wonder if it's that's it, or maybe annoyed the Corinthian a little bit. Or everybody else, it's like, uh, yeah. A pretender to the throne. Yep. So I'm, um, I've just been thrown by what Samaria said. I'm an events organizer, and now I'm thinking to myself, like, how I never thought I'd be thinking in my head, how would I organize a serial killer convention? My, my thought for this entire thing was it's a friggin comic book you know sometimes you just Better roll with it you make you, you just go okay they're talking about it in the open and nobody else notices because they're all just oblivious comic book people the end right you know you, you, you which you, to you, be you fair having to... met people yeah. you know <laughs> this people is see you what know, they I, expect to see yeah i mean there, there's a bit of surrealism to the to everything anyway so it, you know People not noticing the obvious seems like it's just leaning into that surrealism a little. Well, I, I, be, I haven't been to a lot of conventions and conferences and events that are really boring. Now I think back and I just think, you know, anything that I overheard could have been something really like just talking about something horrible. You just never know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start paying attention to those now more like, often. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's always, somebody, there's always somebody kind of clueless at, at those things, you know. 
they just don't quite know what's going on. They're hired help or they're volunteers. And they're like, I don't know. I love the thought of uh, gay men traveling and being in a hotel and there being some kind of, you know, medical or business conference. And you're just looking at it thinking, this could be a cover for serial killers. Okay, I'm going to put that into my story. It <laughs> 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 totally makes sense. <laughs> he took inspiration from real life. <laughs> I mean, who knows? He might have been at an actual serial, you know, in a hotel. There was an actual serial convention at one point, you know, we've got people from Post always- and General Mills and Kellogg's there. The trade show, trade conference, you know. It's always fun when you're there part of a convention that is small enough that you don't take up the other the whole hotel. And then there's another convention doing something completely different there at the same time. I have been to a pagan festival that had um, one of those murder mystery dinner theaters going on at the same time. <laughs> oh, that's a good crossover. That could, yeah. that could and be I was also crossover. at a goth convention that had bodybuilders in the same hotel. Oh, God, Ooh, I remember that convention. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I remember, that's the same convention where we filmed the video that, that we will be uh, showing if we raise the $1,000 for, for Qualys and I. Nice segue there, Siobhan. Uh, yeah, we are still... Hint? We are still doing that. We are still trying to raise money for Koala Sadai's Koala Reserve that she has down there in, in the, the Madlands. So uh, check the, the notes of this show for the link to that and help us raise $1,000 so that we can release that video and hu- publicly humiliate me. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Always a worthy All cause. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that, that, that convention, I do remember it. It was it That was, was fun. Yeah. I remember riding the the elevator with somebody who had just like finished up their their whatever and they could consume sugar again. It was this huge bodybuilder with like a dozen donuts and just like shoving them into his mouth. And it was hilarious. <laughs> nice. I can't say I've ever had something like that, but I, I have been in a hotel where there's also been a child beauty pageant going on. Oh, that oh, when the elevator opened to get on, that was a shock. <laughs> yeah. I could see that. Supermodels, but very, very short. Oh, <laughs> very, very wrong. Yes. I think that's a so nice what do we segue make of... back to the <laughs> child beauty pageants and Funland. Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah, I was. I was going to say, what do we make of Funland um, deciding to kind of break the rules and and go in his collecting ways when Jed shows up? Yeah, it's compulsion control that one. Yeah. yeah, and also, you know, when um, when Gilbert and Rose are trying to get in, and he's saying, and they're like, "Oh, I'm just looking, just looking for my brother," and he's like, "There's no children in there." I would know. I was just like, <laughs> "Oh, <laughs> yeah, ooh, oof." Yeah, he's a definitely a disturbing character. The the creepiest of the three for sure, or and the ones we meet. My wife was scared for Rose too. I'm like, no, she's 21. <laughs> like, but she doesn't look it. Oh, oh, she, she doesn't look it, right? No, she, she doesn't. looks like a teenager. So yeah, I I I think with with Funland, there shouldn't have been any children there, and if there is, he has no self control. So that's just, it's definitely going to happen. You could, you know. Don't put him in the lobby. If you're going to have him work it, work in the back. Yeah. You know, handle the a, AV, he's a liability. Something. Yeah. 
Like yeah. I'm surprised I'm surprised he got a, an invite because of like his lack of impulse control. Well, he also and helped to the organize fact that they it. Did so. it. Yeah, he's not just an attendee. He's he's part of the organizing committee. One of the organizers. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot that detail. Yeah. Ew. Ew. There's the scene in the diner with him where he's looking at the waiter. How old do you think the waiter that waiter is? Oh, he's probably sixteen. Like, oh, he's that's too, too old, old for you. you. Like, yeah. <laughs> so like they know. Yeah. <laughs> And I, and I like um, Gilbert's line to him. It's like, oh, serial convention without children? You, are you missing a trick here? It's like, oh, Gilbert. No. <laughs> Don't give him any ideas. <laughs> he figured it out. If only, long. sir. If only. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, you raise that he loses, you know, he has no impulse control. And um, he, I mean, he hang, he, it takes him a while, right? It's just this, he keeps seeing Jed. And then when they're in the corridor, oh, that scene where he's chasing them. That was so well done. And that's, again, that whole impulse control thing. I mean, if someone, you would think that someone who is successful at killing children and getting away with it, their reaction would be was, oh, I was just taking him someplace safe until I located his parents. You don't chase after them. And then... No, because that's obvious at that yeah. point, right? <laughs> And maybe it was the context where he felt safe to do so versus if this were at Disney World, like he said, like he wouldn't have done that because there's too many witnesses and it's too creepy for this grown ass man <laughs> to be chasing after children and be like, no, I had him first, you know, um, but he was like, oh, it's just Rose. So whatever, you know, I have my buddies here, whatever. Yeah, no, he's a liability. He couldn't come. I'm sorry. We, but, I but would have had to kick him off of the organizing committee. <laughs> well, I think he has been taken off the organizing committee. For, you know. <laughs> but um, but you're right, Samaria, because, you know, you do get the good doctor and what was the name? Nimrod and Corinthian taking out the journalist, right? So they go into the basement and they're going to clean that up and no one's going to, everyone's going to help. So maybe Funlanders think, oh, it's fine, you know. All these rooms are taken by other collectors. They'll, they'll either just ignore me or they'll help me clean it up. But then we have uh, very similar to the previous episode once again. Corinthian saves them from one horror straight into another. And I think the final line is of that episode is, "Don't worry, you're safe with me." And you know, if I wasn't binge watching it when I watched it anyway, that's definitely one that I'd be like, "Oh God, I don't want to watch the next one, but I need to watch the next one." freaking charisma it kills me <laughs> it's, it's saying all the right things and very confident yeah you don't have to worry about me you're not going to worry about me because i'm telling you you don't have to but that confidence also comes from honesty right so then we're going straight into the next episode and i was just thinking that corinthian is honest with rose regarding her function he tells us straight out, this is what you are, this is what Dream wants to do, and this is why I want I want you to help me be free of him. And out of everybody so far, in that sense, he is being the most honest. But again, like Siobhan says, it's, it's that, that confidence of, like he says to Rose, okay, I'll be back in an hour. You know, if you're here, then, you know, we can figure something out. If not, you're free to go. And I was just thinking, did he really think that she she would stay? 
Like, does he trust that she will remain, or does he just think that if she leaves, that he'll find her again easily? That's a lot of uh, almost faith that he has that she's here, she'll stay. I'm going to go and do my keynote speech, and then I'll be back for her. Well, I wonder if he knows the consequences of her, of the vortex being let loose. He does. Because it, it seems like he doesn't realize that there's going to be total destruction of both realms. Right. It's like he's just worried or he's just uh, concerned with the fact that uh, the dreaming will be destroyed and he can rebuild it in his image. You know, being the as being the new Morpheus. Uh, but, yeah, he doesn't realize that uh, his his playground is going to go bye bye, too. Oh, see, I didn't read it like that. Like, I read it as like he might be destroyed, but so will Morpheus. And that's enough for him. Like, ultimately, if he had to choose, and if he has to lose, that's okay, as long as Morpheus is destroyed as well. Some people are like that. So, my understanding is that Rose would end up being the new Morpheus, and that if he's on her good side, she would allow him to continue. Oh, because he was honest and he told her. This is what you can do. And now you're powerful and I'll go off and do my own thing now. But he'd have to be remade in that case, though, right? I mean, Morpheus refers to another universe that was destroyed by a vortex where he didn't intervene in time. And the dreaming survived. I think Corinthian is hoping that by letting Rose know she know that she has this power that she could replace Morpheus, that she'll use it. And his confidence comes from, he knows that he's telling the truth, that Morpheus is going to have to kill her. So eventually she'll come back to Corinthian eventually. Like, even if she leaves, she'll need him at some point. And that's kind of where I was getting at with that point, Siobhan, is I think he trusts Rose to make the decision that benefits him. And I, I wasn't sure if that was because he doesn't understand the consequences to him with having all that happen, or maybe it's because there isn't really any, any consequences, but truly it's because he trusts Rose to make the decision that will be best for him. Because she, she'll do it in self-defense. Yeah, she has no other option. Oh, he just wants to get away from dreams so much that he just he'll accept whatever else. Like, anything's better than being dragged <laughs> back to the dreaming by the dream lord. And that kind of goes back to Samaria's point there also, with a, a mixture of both. So he does leave. He leaves them in the room. Um, and Rose actually just decides, okay, I'm just going to have a quick lie down here. It's been a, it's been a tough day. <laughs> uh, and he's off to do his keynote. And um, coming back to when we were first talking about this, you know, the effect that he's had on people. Um, we said that you know, it's quite religious fervor. He does come across like a, you know, a really sick prophet on his pulpit. Um, and he knows what he's doing. He's harnessing Rose's power into getting all the collectors into this collective dream, um, which has more power because they're all, he's kind of guiding them, right? He's, he's like, you know, imagine this. And by the way, I just happen to have a vortex upstairs. Who's going to help me? Like, you know, bring the walls down. So we'll have to revisit this when we do Dream of a Thousand Cats, because I just realized the parallel there of the power of 
multiple people dreaming the same dream in the real world. I'm here with Greg and we're looking at the shop of our sponsor, Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. And uh, Greg, is there anything really that's grabbing your attention? I've got a couple. I'm digging these waveform art pieces. Looks like there's one with the Force theme from Star Wars, one with the Hobbit theme from Lord of the Rings. The waveform of the actual theme music, as would show on, say, a digital audio workstation. It's a cool concept. I really like those. Yeah, I really like those, too. I think they're really, really cool. And uh, I think a lot of our fans will think they're really, really cool, too. So if they want to get those, where can they go find them? All this cool stuff and more available on 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four, Cats with a K, Boutique on Etsy. And in the midst of this, them all kind of thinking, blink, and there is Morpheus. Just kind of hanging out. (laughs) (laughs) Showing up on his own time as usual, right? right? Yeah, exactly. He just, he just has a knack <laughs> of doing this, doesn't he? <laughs> a couple of people have died and he's like, oh, now I'll pop in. Yeah. <laughs> and so I really, really like this conversation between Dream and Corinthian. I think it you know gives us a lot about Dream's function, his flaws, you know, how he just he doesn't look at the bigger picture. Or maybe he looks too much at the bigger picture and not at individuals. And he says to the Corinthian, you know, that he's really disappointed. And he says that you were my masterpiece, a dark mirror created to reflect everything humanity will not confront. And then he says a few times, you know, you're just such a disappointment. Like you just become this petty, petty nightmare when you could have been so much more. All he'd done was cause chaos and create more fear. I wonder if that's how he can be so charismatic. Because, I mean, no one knows themselves better than themselves, right? And so if he's a a mirror reflecting everybody's own personality, then he can have that charismatic effect on them because he knows exactly what they want to hear and say. Perfect thing to say. Yeah, I was, I'd been wondering what the function of a nightmare is because there has to be one. Like, anything that is related to the endless has a purpose like there's always a point to it and they like a daydream a dream okay cool i clearly know that like you fall asleep and even like there's a biological function to dreaming like there's it's supposed like it's supposed to sort out your mental faculties and also like it literally repairs your body um nightmares (laughs) feels very like counterproductive because if you have like a true nightmare you wake up more exhausted than you started when before you fell asleep and dream morpheus saying you know you were supposed to reflect back instead of being chaos as greg just said you know you're supposed to like be like prompt humans prompt humanity to harness that fear harness whatever they're afraid of harness whatever they're dismissing or justifying or avoiding and put it to use like you're not just you're destroying something but for the purposes of it being rebuilt i was like ah okay yeah i can see why a you know a like a nightmare gone rogue a corinthian like who's not serving that function can just wreak absolute havoc because what's the point of a serial killer i mean i guess they told us they were like we are doing god's work like that one that one (laughs) session (laughs) 
which I actually wanted to stay in. Um, <laughs> some of those panels did sound pretty interesting. I want to stay here for a minute. Let's hold pause. <laughs> I want to hear what they have to say. The feminist serial killers. We can do this just as just as well as the men can. <laughs> right, which I could spend all day on that. I was like, oh, okay, this is fascinating. Okay, wait. Let's, let's yeah, I really um, want to know about the gender politics of serial killers. That that. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, ultimately, a serial killer is, you know, there's there's no point to it except for just the joy of killing. Um, there's no relief in it. There's no, like, purpose. You're just, you're removing something without replacing it with something better, which I guess is, that's what a nightmare is for, um, to help, hu- like, humans, people facilitate that process. And he was just not doing that. I'm like, oh, okay. Now I get it. Now I will know why. First of all, I know why you exist. And second, I know why Dream is pissed. You know, especially since he's been gone for a century. Everything went, you know, just to complete hell in his absence. And that's just, I guess that was just one more thing, like the cherry on top. Like, the least you could have done was be helpful. Right. Well, the, the waking nightmare doesn't have the same effect as the dreaming nightmare, right? That's true, yeah. So the Corinthian in the real world is going to be bad and, and not serve a purpose. Yeah, the only purpose is chaos. Yeah. Chaos and fear. But here, Corinthian also points out dreams flow. He says, you don't care about humanity. You only care about yourself and your rules. And that is, you know, that, that is an aspect of dream. But what I like in this moment is Dream almost seems to take responsibility. Like he kind of agrees with the Corinthian and he says, I created you poorly. So before he's disappointed in the Corinthian, but now he's like, well, actually, if he's poorly made, then it's the cre- it's the creator's fault and I'm the creator of this. And so he takes responsibility and he, he reabsorbs him, but he keeps the teeny tiny skull with the eyes which seems to be that's sort that's sort of like the seed of the uh of the dreams and the nightmares because he does the same thing with galt uh he later winds up rebuilding galt but uh that's how he he kind of reabsorbs galt so uh it just seems like that's just the framework of which dreams and nightmares are built off of but i like that he says you know, when he's looking at this teeny skull, which is like disturbingly cute, you know. Um, he says, next time you will not be so petty. And that's on him, right? That's, that's on him then to make something that will not be so petty. He will, that he should make something better next time. And so in between all of this, we have, um, between this conversation between Corinthian and Dream, we have Rose in the Dream and the disturbing everyone's dreams colliding in a little bit too much infinite detail of each individual collector and what they do. So a little bit, any thoughts on that? Anyone? <laughs> I can like, afford a few, a few bits of my rewatch. I was, I did want to revisit the conversation about Ken and Barbie um, from last time, because I, I had some thought about this where you guys had mentioned that Ken's kind of sleazy in the comic and that this was a vision into what his real life was. And I was thinking about that and I'm like, but 
everybody kind of has those dreams where they're being the bad person, right? Where they do the thing that they don't want to do in real life because they know it's bad. So I almost wondered if that was kind of what Ken's dreams were about. Not necessarily that he's the cheater, the bad person in real life, but that this was his dream that had to satisfy the evil so that that doesn't come out in the real world. Yeah, they kept it kind of ambiguous in this version. You're, you're right. It could be that he's going, you know, he it's it's his desire that he wants to repress, uh, not necessarily a reflection into his real world. Because if you look at Barbie's dream, you know, she's on this, you know, magical quest, and uh, it's not a, it has nothing to do with her, her real life. But I like that Barbie's dream doesn't feature Ken at all. It's just right. Barbie in Barbie's world by herself. She doesn't need Ken. She's a Barbie girl. Oh, Ken's mouth is that. And I, I wonder if it's just a contrast of different people's fantasies, right? Because if that's Ken's fantasy is to go off and have the midlife crisis sex romp, but not have that happen in real life. And then Barbie's fantasy has nothing to do with real life. It's just a escape world that she enjoys to to be in but they're both fantasies right yeah exactly they they kept it a little more ambiguous in the i think in the in the comics there was actually proof that ken was doing what he was doing in dreams uh there's no proof of that here you know he's he he's sowing his wild oats in his dreams uh Possibly because he, you know, like you said, he doesn't want to do it in real life. He doesn't want to have the consequence, so he doesn't even do the action. But that action is still sort of nagging at him. So, so in the comics, the impression I got was that they were just the the dreams were revealing his personality and that he is just not a good person. And it didn't really go so much into what he was doing, but who he was as a person. Right, just the fact that he wanted to, the lust in his heart was enough to... Yeah, and I don't think that they conveyed that as well in the TV show, that this was about his nature as opposed to anything that he may or may not have actually done in real life. Yeah, just kept it a little more uh, ambiguous. Which I think again speaks back to, for example, John D as well, is that Gaiman in the show is building a bit more empathy with the characters in the comics that were very clearly kind of, you know, evil or bad. That he in the show there's a bit more to play with and I think maybe we might see more of them in future seasons and it might it may build upon that. Mm-hmm. Well there is the uh who's the, the the character that's with late uh with with Barbie in her dream, uh Martin Tenbones. Martin Tenbones. Martin Tenbones, yes. Uh, That character does show up later in the comics. So there's there's something there's something there. It's like but this is like more of a a common character in in dreams, I believe. Like just the guide. Yeah. Animal guide. guide. (laughs) A guide within the dreaming that exists for, for multiple people. So there, there could be more of a uh, connection to the dreaming that Barbie has that Ken really doesn't, which is why his dreams are so superficial. 
Well, no spoilers, but Ken, Barbie and Martin Tenbones and that whole storyline is quite important later in the comics. So, um, and also the fact that we've got Sir Lenny Henry playing the voice of Martin Tenbones, uh, I'm definitely assuming that he'll be back. <laughs> so, yeah, he's also popping up in, in many things recently. So we have um, Rose in the dreams of all the collectors and um, Corinthian and Dream kind of pulling her in either direction. And she basically says, no, I'm not going in either direction. I'm going to decide for myself. And she kind of says, the walls are going back up and I'm going to my brother. And that is what then allows the final showdown between Dream and Corinthian to happen. Um, I also miss the point where Dream is stabbed. And that's like, really shocking to him. That's because Rose is becoming stronger while he becomes weaker, but then that, that balance goes back out again. And so we have um, Dream's judgment at the end with the collectors. Um, he lets them feel the pain of those they've harmed and left behind, and they all react in different ways. Yeah. And Rose and Jed are just speeding out of there as fast as they can. <laughs> Which is the entirely appropriate response. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like that there wasn't any ridiculous, you know, let's figure out what's happening. It's like, no, let's just get the hell out of here. Yeah. Let Dream kind of clean things up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he does, right? And then um and then Matthew says, you know, oh, should we go after them? And he's like, No, she's no harm in the waking world. We'll find her tonight. Um and then I this this really got me kind of emotionally right so the next bit is rose makes plans for jed to go to unity as she's kind of preparing for the possibility of her possible death and i just really felt that right that she finally finds her brother but now she's got something else going on on a universal level and she might die but she's just so i love how pragmatic she is <laughs> i really feel that she's like okay i might die i've just got my brother okay unity um can you adopt him if anything should just happen should happen to me and all of that is sorted and she's ready then and unity to... was like i was going to do that anyway so yeah 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 and there's a kind of a sad moment here as well because unity's like oh you know i always wondered what my life would have been if i hadn't lost it all in the dream and now i get to find out and then it's like oh but you don't. Yeah. Sad. But she does go out. Well, she kind of does. I mean, she yeah. gets to read the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's true. true. That's true. Nice. She reads the book and that's how she finds yes. out that she was originally supposed to be the Vortex. Yeah. And probably would have died much younger. Yes. Not at 115 odd of whatever she is. So we get the brief uh, look with um, all the b&b crew at the hospital which i really liked um and i think it's at this point that we get rose's effect on everyone's dreams actually no that happens afterwards let me come back to that okay so we do get um lita's anger at dream is strong right she's just like like rose is like i'm not really sure what to do i think he was trying to help me she's like no just kill him kill the bastard <laughs> well, she, she lost her husband twice. Yeah. Yeah. Took took my husband, took my child. Yeah, yeah. and so we're, then we go into the fi- the finale. Um, everyone's in the dreaming, including Unity, like who Siobhan says finds her story in Lucienne's library, and this is the moment that Lucienne puts it all together. <laughs> I 
It's not Dream, it's Lucienne. <laughs> and Gilbert comes and offers himself. Very sweet. And then we get this beautiful transition where we get to see who Gilbert really is. Which Fiddler's was Green. gorgeous. Just absolutely amazing. Absolutely, yeah. Can I spend uh, a couple weeks there? At yeah, least? really. Oh, yeah. yeah. I could use a good nap. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I would nap, though, if I was there. It just looks so like, tranquil in a sense that I want to be kind of, you know, with the butterfly and the stream and the blades of grass and hear like everything. That's amazing. I was mm. thinking more thoughtful meditation than like book reading. That that was my place there. Actually, it'd be pretty cool to be in Fiddler's Green and have Gilbert's voice. It'd be like, just pick a book. Gilbert, tell me about this and just lie there as he's talking. <laughs> well, Stephen Fry has narrated a lot of uh, audiobooks, so he's got a great voice for it. <laughs> <laughs> so we have uh, Lucienne brings unity to Dream, just as Dream's about to, you know, explains to Rose why she has to die. Um, I love this line of unity. She's like, you know, no, she's not going to die because it should have been me. I was meant to be the vortex of this age. And he's like, you? And she, and she says, you're not very bright, are you? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was like, damn, let him catch up. <laughs> Give him five seconds more. <laughs> You don't need to roast the poor guy immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have uh, Rose reaching into whatever it is that makes her the vortex. Um, and then this is where, obviously, we get the, the final finale. The heart is shaped like Desire Sigil. I noticed that. I noticed that too. And I... I I found it interesting that it appeared that way because Rose didn't have any idea what would make her the vortex. You know, Unity's like, whatever you want. And apparently whatever she wants is his sigil. I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And you can see where Dream starts putting it together. Yeah. Right, like I said, Because she mentions the yellow eyes. The yellow eyes, eyes. yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I think so that's Perrin. Parents, the father. <laughs> well, or or I was about to say the name. Somebody else <laughs> is the father. <laughs> you but are yes. the father. You know, run around the cameraman running behind him. <laughs> <laughs> Maury, oh, Simon, do you Maury. guys have the Maori and Jerry Springer <laughs> reach over to the UK? <laughs> this is very like this is very like uh, integral to like. The American like experience, an American's, yeah. like psyche, like the cameraman running behind the father, like you are not, you are the father, and he, you know, the father in the paternity test, like makes oh, a break uh, for it. I see. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that was like Siobhan's comment last uh, la last episode about crossing over into the U.S. and seeing the, you know, one eight hundred baby daddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm learning a lot about uh, U.S. paternity tests and um, how prevalent they are <laughs> in the U.S. <laughs> it's a thing. It's a thing. So back to um, the baby daddy here. When um, Unity breaks the sigil, that is basically then the moment that she dies. So she kind of re, re she assumes back being the vortex, but then cracks it. And that is the moment of her death. And then she can stay. 
she can also apparently stay in the dreaming, but I think she chooses to move on to whatever is awaiting her in the afterlife. Um, and this is where we get Rose's effect. So um, Dream says, I actually, I actually remembered it being Dream just saying to Rose that she's welcome in the dreaming at any time, but he actually says that you and Jed are children of the Endless and you're welcome anytime. <laughs> Uncle Dream. <laughs> <laughs> not even not even adopted full-blooded niece and nephew yeah because desire <laughs> was uh very naughty. around he was in the streets very naughty oh yeah uh-oh it's that moment again. <laughs> I'm gonna tell <laughs> oh yeah Let's just go there. Yeah. Let's just jump ahead and let's have that scene. Yeah. Which, again, I love is directly from the comics, but has a completely different impact on in the show. Oh, yeah. The 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 two faces with Dream's face looking down into, into Desire's face. Wow. That was, again, the only word that can possibly sum it up is sploosh. Yeah. <laughs> like a sandwich. <laughs> Indeed. Tasty, tasty sandwich. My face is hurting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure mine would be too. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Somebody need a cold shower. Uh, Watch oh, party shit. after dark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. You all right there, Sam? Yeah, just bringing, thinking which way to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure Roark's thinking that too. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna save the final spoosh for the end. I'm gonna back up a little bit. Um, to uh, Rose waking up, uh, baby is born, and we get uh, the effect of Rose on everyone's dreams. So Hal's decided that he's he is going to move back to New York, um, and he wants to sell his house. And we get um, is it Zelda speaking for the first time? Yeah, and they decide that they're going to buy the house. Uh, and we see in the background because it's so hard Barbie... to move all the spiders. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> Moving quickly on, um, Barbie, Barbie confronts Ken's cheating. We see him in the background saying, you know, babe, it was just a dream. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's something's happening off camera there. Um, again, uh, left ambiguous. So we might find out more about that. What I was going to say was, I'm, I'm not, whole, I'm not thinking that Barbie's holding him accountable for his dreams. I think his dreams basically just made her realize what he's been up to in real life. And she's just like, okay, this is just, you know, as if it's enough that's happening in real life, but I'm happy to see it in your dreams as well. No, that's enough. And she's off to confront, well, actually, she shouldn't really be confronting the Cindy's of the world. She just needs to deal with Ken. But, um, and hey, who knows what Barbie's been doing with Martin Tenbones all these years, so. No. <laughs> Why would you say oh, that? Greg, no. <laughs> For the reaction. <laughs> Purely for the reaction. Purely because I am chaos. So. Uh, are you trying to channel a bit of Axel there? 
<laughs> we're nearly there. We're nearly there. So we have the lovely scene <laughs> of Dream creating his new dreams and nightmares. And we have Galt 2.0. Beautiful butterfly wings. She's been reborn into a dream. Um, and then we get that really quick, um, obviously because Unity's passed away, Rose and Jed um, end up living in a, a new BMP in New York. Um, and I really love and the fact Hal that... And Hal has a partner. Uh, Hal and Carl get together. There's a the mm-hmm. background. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, they're really sweet, but yep, also yep, in the back yep. of my head was slightly disturbed because, um, you know, Corinthian flirted with one and was with one. So there's this, like, this really disturbing connection between them. But hopefully they will be happy together. It's, so. it's very normal in the queer community, so just don't worry about it. Yeah, my first girlfriend is, like, also my best friend's ex, so it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> We're just happy Hal has somebody, no matter who it right. is. Well, as long as it's not a serial killer. As long as it's healthy, right? <laughs> yeah. Healthy. Well, you, you, you can't blame the guy for having slept with the Corinthian. I mean, oh, no, very... it's not his fault. I'm yeah. just really happy he survived. Corinthian Very happy he survived. Like you said, he got the information and didn't raise alarm, you know, didn't raise bring any attention to himself. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so happy families there. I really like the fact that, you know, we've got this, we were talked before about this found found family with the B&B with Hal, you know, in Georgia. And then we get this new with some of the original, you know, members finding it in New York. Um, and that will continue. And so we have our epilogue. Postscript in hell. With Lucifer. Oh. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked the, uh, the way they did the, the demon that she was talking to that just looked like yeah. a tear in the fabric. And that is, isn't that With what, all the they, what it looks like in the comic? Like, that was a yeah. really good it was really CGI representation. Done. Yeah. Yeah. And so we have Azazel demanding action to expand hell. I thought that was, that was an interesting nugget there that, you know, we can't leave. So the only way we can, you know, we, we should then grow hell by just expanding it into other kingdoms. Um, and he wants to go for the dreaming. Yeah. And then we get this excellent shot of Lucifer at the end saying that, um, I've got this note, we're going to do something that will make God absolutely livid and bring Morpheus to his knees. Dun, dun, dun. So yeah, so that brings us to the end of the episode. We have this, you know, awesome cliffhanger that will take us into, I believe, the Seasons of Mist storyline um, for the next season, which um, we don't know when it's going to be. So, But we do know that they did announce a second season. That, that we do yes. know for sure. Yeah. But we are not quite at the end because we also will be having another episode to discuss the bonus episode. <laughs> so oh, yes. yes. Yes, the bonus episode that nobody knew was coming. Right. Yeah, that, that was, was dropped fun, like a, an absolute surprise. It was. Yeah. And I, I, I love the fact that they dropped it, but I'm also, it really kind of annoys me, you know, that the 
companies do this because it's basically every, it was just like oh my god there's a new episode drop everything especially when we uh, we kind of uh, i knew what it was dream of a thousand cats but also calliope i was like oh my god i'm gonna love dream of a thousand cats but i'm not sure i'll be able to watch calliope and it's like all this confusion inside of me but it was awesome but we'll save that for the actual episode so that brings us to the end of the season uh, we will be back with the next episode with the, looking at the bonus episode. But for the meantime, that's us for today. Over to you, Rowak. We want to say thank you, as always, to our benefactors, Mike and Jen, out at the Secret Watch Party Island headquarters. Thank you, Michael and Jen. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Michael and Jen. Thank you, Michael and Jen. Thanks, you too. And of course, be sure to check out their podcast, a watch, a watch Party Lord of the Rings, where they've been covering the Rings of Power and everything else involved with the Lord of the Rings. And also the other podcast on the Watch Party Network, which is A Watch Party of Ice and Fire, covering, covering House of the Dragon. And with that, a uh, final question for the panel. If you were one of the Endless, what is your name and what is your function? My name is Determination and I'm in charge of pure unadulterated stubbornness. Just bloody minded to the end of the universe. <laughs> I feel like you you've decided on this a long time ago. Oh yeah, it's my superpower. <laughs> it's, been, it's been predetermined. Yes. <laughs> my name is Drowsiness, and uh, my function is to make sure everyone gets their naps appropriately. Yeah, you need to come around more often. I'm going to go with Defiance, and my function like it. is uh, learning. It's basically fighting. Fighting for either other people or fighting for yourself. You can take this however you like. That would be mine. I think I'm going to just uh, just throw it up to the panel, and I'll be deference. Uh, you can decide. <laughs> you can decide what mine's going to be. <laughs> so we are not diametrically opposed, but we're no, kind we are of not. <laughs> Maybe we've got another set of twins. <laughs> defiance and deference oh, yeah. i like it i can only think of things that are like dis discompopulate oh that's a good one <laughs> <laughs> i'm constantly discombobulated <laughs> so, i'm gonna so, take that yeah so, <laughs> Thank you, so you uh you cause people to just fall apart and Oh, gosh. Now this is turning into a therapy session. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that leads... I, I guess I just sent that down the wrong path, which fits right into mine, which I would be Destructicus. There you go. <laughs> mm -hmm. But no matter what it is, I'll fucking break it. <laughs> well, if it's going to turn into a... Ther if it's going to turn into a therapy session, then we have to get deductible involved. And... Uh, <laughs> Ha 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 